regular normal speaker will be back next week. John chapter 3, verse 16, if you're new to our community and you're wondering, there, gee, there's a wall here. Yes, the walls that Jesus tears down, we want to build back up. That is our mission as a church. Now, if you need a Bible, go ahead and let one of our ushers know. We're going to start a new series this morning, and we're going to look at one verse for the next 10 weeks. And we're going to go phrase by phrase through probably the most well-known verse, John 3.16. So this week, we're going to be talking about two words, for God. Next week, we're going to talk about two words, so loved. The week after that, we're going to be talking about two, world, two words, the world. The week after that, we're going to be talking about three words that he gave. The week after that, we're going to be talking about three words, his only son. The next week, we're going to be talking about two words, that whosoever. The next week, we're going to talk about one word, believes. And the week after that, we're going to be talking about three words, shall not perish. And then we're going to be talking about shall have eternal life. That's four words. So that is what we're going to be doing for the next 10 weeks. I can tell you are incredibly thrilled. Now, John 3.16, the most well-known verse. It's, if you're going to go to a football game and bring a verse, what verse do you bring? You bring John 3.16. If you are going to sell hamburgers that are glorious and milkshakes in and out, what verse are you going to put on the bottom of the cup? John 3.16. So I want to take the most well-known verse in the Bible and show us that it's not as well-known as we think. So that's the goal of this time. So John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read it together, which means we read it all together out loud. Let me get to John chapter 3, verse 16. Here we go. Ready, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this morning we're going to look at the first two words, for God. Now, we're going to, we're going to start in John 3.16, we're going to end in John 3.16, and then we're going to go into the wilderness of, of some stuff. So, for God... When John uses the word God, he uses a Greek word, theos. Say theos. Theos is the generic Greek word for God. It's very much like our English word, God. All right? Do most of Americans believe in God? Yes. But what kind of God do they believe in? Well, that can be anything, right? The word God is very elastic. It's, it's, it's very um, broad. You can pack a whole lot of different understandings into that word, right? Right? It's like the Greek word theos. Theos is just, it just is the generic word for divinity or deity. In fact, the dictionary definition of God, in case you're wondering, any of various beings conceived of not actually, but conceived of as being supernatural, immortal, and having special powers over the lives and affairs of people and the course of nature. Now, and even in, in English, I mean, we can talk about someone being like a, a, a basketball god or she's a goddess. I mean, we, the word god just is so generic. And in Greek, the, the word that John uses here is just like our English word god. It's just this big, open, broad word. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there a difference between calling someone their title or calling someone by their name? Is there a difference? Absolutely. I have all kinds of titles. Author. Model. Stud muffin. No. Um, husband. Father. Pastor. Citizen. 
And you can use those titles, right, if you don't know me really well. And it always puts me off when people call me Pastor Mike because then i got to behave. I mean, so I always like Mike. So when you get to know me, I don't want to be called anything but Mike. My wife, who knows me better than anybody, right, does she walk around calling me fellow taxpayer? No. I mean, that, like, at times, a title means there's distance in the relationship, whereas a name means there's intimacy. Would you agree? My wife calls me Mike, or my wife's name is Justina, and that's way too many syllables, so I just call her Jay, or JJ, or J-Bear, or Justy Bear, and the other things. Now, <laughs> Foxy. The more intimate you get with somebody, the, the greater the permission you have to use their name. So, is the word God a title or a name? It's a title. God has many titles, but he only has one name. Go to the book of Exodus, if you would. Jamie, did you see that coming? Jamie? Ha ha ha. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. There are a couple of folks over here that think they know where I'm heading in sermons, and I'm going to show them they do not know right now. Exodus chapter 3. Moses! Moses has an interesting resume. 40 years serving in Pharaoh's court in Egypt. 40 years being a shepherd in the wilderness. God calls him and says, out of a burning bush, he says, hey, I want you to be the deliverer for my people. And Moses kind of goes, well, I've got some suggestions, some feedback. I've got a few minor difficulties. I can't talk well. And, And so he has this list of like four or five responses he gives to God. And one of them, Exodus 3, verse 13. Moses said to them, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now remember, Israel is still in Egypt. Moses is in a different spot. God's saying, Go to and rescue my people. And Moses is going, Okay, suppose I go to them and they ask me, What is the name of the God who sent you? He says, Then what shall I tell them? Now, back then, you have to understand, names were of incredible significance. In the Bible, nothing is just randomly named. Parents would name their children, anticipating a destiny or hoping for a destiny. Often, God would change somebody's name when he altered their destiny in his kingdom. Something would take place in an area, and they would name it after what had taken place. So names were huge. In Egypt, where Moses was reared... They had a whole bunch of little bitty pretender vending machine gods. And these gods like oversaw the soil and fertility and the rain and the sun. And they all had names. And their names were important because once you understood the name of a god, you could understand how that god worked and you could use that name to get that god to do what you wanted to do. So if you wanted a, a good crop, you had a vested interest in learning the name of the God who controlled crops. And knowing the name, you could make a sacrifice or an offering or whatever to try to get that God to give you what you wanted. Are you following me so far? So Moses very naturally says, hey, I'm going to go to your people, but, and they're going to say, well, who sent you? Well, what name am I going to give them? Now God gives them a name, but it's not really helpful. Verse 14, God said to Moses, here's my name. I am who I am. Well, that clears it up. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Awesome. Now, what's interesting is in Hebrew, this comes from a, 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 a word that literally has the meaning to exist or to be. So, here's what God says to Moses. You want to know what my name is? In contrast to all the itty-bitty pretender gods of Egypt, I actually exist. I am. I'm real. In contrast to all the pretend deities, I actually am. You're dazzled, I can tell. Now, does that help? Does that clear up anything? No, I mean, it's a name. But packed into the name are concepts like God is self-sufficient, God is autonomous, God is independent, God wasn't started uh, by anyone else or will end be ended by anyone else. I mean, God just is. The Bible never argues for the existence of God, it just announces it. So, hey God, what's your name? I'm real. Awesome. I thought we'd already established that or I wouldn't have been asking you, Right? And then he gives, God then gives the name. So when God talks about himself, he uses the phrase, I am. Which, as a minor digression, makes it fascinating when Jesus walks around using that name all the time. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. And in fact, in one place, Jesus is in dispute with the Jews. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. If anyone ever tells you Jesus never claimed to be God himself, they don't know their Bible. Because there was no, I mean, he might as well have just said, yeah, by the way, you know that name God gives Moses? That was me. And it says that Jews picked up rocks to throw at him because he was blaspheming, claiming to be God. I mean, it's as clear as anything. Oh, he was doing good or she was doing good. Bless you, young lady. Bless you. I'm so glad we're out of the infant stage. I'm just so happy. Now, God gives Israel, in case you missed it, beige side, there was a a woman who had a baby. You figured that part out maybe? Okay, now. Verse 15. So when God refers to himself, he uses the phrase, I am. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name. The Lord, L-O-R-D. That is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So God gives them, God gives Moses his name. I am. But then he gives Moses a different name. You, the Israelites, are to call me the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord. Now in Hebrew, that is four consonants called the tetragrammaton, which is not helpful. Y, H, W, or V, and there's all sorts of misunderstanding about that. Y, H, I'll just call it W, H, And those consonants, we haven't the foggiest idea how to pronounce. The the Jews, the high priest would say the name once a year. We think Yahweh is our best guess. But we know that, I mean, that's just not right. But that's the best we got. Because they quit saying it. 
The high priest would say it once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the nation would bow down when they heard it. When they got back from exile, they just stopped saying the name altogether. So they would say Adonai, or they would say Elohim, or they even had, they even had a, a title for God that was just simply called the name, Hashem. So they, would, they, would, they wouldn't say God's name, they would just call him the name. You know the name. And even today, Orthodox Jews won't even write out God. They'll just put G and then a dash and then a D. Out of respect for the name. Now, this four consonant name, Y-H-W-H, is the third person form of I am that I am. In other words, God says, when I refer to myself, I am. When you refer to me, call me He is. So the name God gives Israel, call me He is. Call me He exists. Call me He's real. So anytime you see a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is Yahweh. That is the covenant name given to Israel. Every other name is actually a title. One name. God's name is incredibly important to him. 6,800 times it is used in the Hebrew scriptures. Anytime you see L-O-R-D and it's capitalized, it's Yahweh. Here's what I love about that name. Stick with me. This is kind of the point of the whole deal. A name is different than a title. So a name is an invitation to relationship. Would you agree? But even God's name reminds us that though we can know him, we can never figure him out. What's your name? I exist. What should we call you? He exists. Okay? And 6,800 times. Go if you would to Exodus chapter 33. God uses this name. So it's an invitation relationship. We can know him. The theos that John is talking about is Yahweh. Now, of course, John writing to Greek people, they have no idea who this Yahweh character is. So he uses just a generic Greek name for God. But who's he talking about? This God, the God of Israel. The one true living God. Moses gets a little cocky. After God uses him to deliver the people, he says, okay, God, show me your glory. I want to see you. God very gently says, that's not a really good idea. Verse 19, the Lord responded to Moses' request to see him. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, but even though I'm merciful and compassionate, you cannot see my face because no one can see me and live. In other words, the human personality would simply disintegrate with confronted with who God really is. We just, there's no, there's no apparatus we have that can actually grasp just a little bit of who he is. The Lord said, instead, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory passes by 
I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Now the word hand means shield. I will shield you until I pass by. Then I will remove my shield and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now, obviously God is, is like using figures of speech here. The word back means the place where I just was. So, <laughs> I just find this so fascinating. Hey, God, I want to see your glory. Okay, well, I'm going, to call, I'm going to proclaim my name right in front of you. I'm going to cause all my goodness to go by you. And then, because it will simply, you will cease to exist if you were to see me really, I'm going to shield you until I pass by. And then you can look at the place where I just was. <laughs> That's as close as you can get. Now, have you ever been around somebody that says, you know, when I meet God, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind and I'm going to ask him all these questions. And we're... I just don't think so. <laughs> I just don't think the first response when we meet I exist is going to be, you know, I really disagree with how you handled this situation. <laughs> nope. Instead, God says, I'll let you see the place where I just was. And that is all you can handle. Is God's name a big deal to him? I will proclaim my name in your presence and you will hardly be able to take it. I'll have to shield you. Go, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Just a couple of passages where he uses his name. I want you to see how God talks about himself. Every now and again, God's people have to be reminded that our God is actually a really big deal. Isaiah chapter 40, page 586 in the Divinely Blue Bibles. And we'll start in verse uh, 13. Isaiah 40, 13. Who can fathom the Spirit, it says of the Lord, but who are we talking about? Yahweh. Okay, thank you for three of you. Who can fathom the Spirit of Yahweh or instruct Yahweh as His counselor? Now, I love when God uses sarcasm. Because the answer here is nobody. So God's saying, hey, which of you gave me advice? I'm sorry, which one of you did I turn to to ask counsel? And the obvious response is, nobody. Whom did the Lord, whom did Yahweh consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? The nations are like a drop in the bucket. You guys think America's awesome? Well, it's a drop, just to be clear. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs islands as if they were fine dust. You guys think Hawaii is nice. Dust. Jump over to chapter 43. Just want to look at his name. God's people every now and again just need to be reminded that he's a big deal. Verse 10. Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am Yahweh, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I, not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, that I am God. Okay. 
I mean, wouldn't it be nice if God fit into our intellectual boxes? Wouldn't it be nice if God could just make sense every now and again? I mean, aren't you tempted every now and again to just say, you know, God, I'm, I'm going I'm to withhold my worship until I can understand you? Go to Isaiah 55. I don't like this verse at all. You know this one, Isaiah 55, verse 9. Let's go to verse 8. Psych. Children of the 80s, you know what that one is. One's going, hmm. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now who likes this? I want my God to operate according to generally accepted accounting principles. I want my God to operate according to very clear lines of cause and effect. Right? I pray, God answers. I give him money, he gives me money. I'm a good person, he never lets anything bad happen. I pray for my children, they turn out perfectly. I don't have sex before I'm married, and then that's all I do after. Psych, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all the married people said, <laughs> I mean, it would be great. And don't, I mean, isn't so much of American Christianity trying to get God to behave? To try to get him figured out? I mean, every now and again, don't God, even God's people need to be reminded that he's big. Even God's people need to be reminded that he doesn't work like we do. He's not like us, only bigger. He's not like the cosmic superhero. He is something else entirely. And though we bear his image and his mark, we can't just postulate from me to him. And every now and again, the name he gives us invites us into relationship, but at the very same time reminds us we can never figure him out. Go, if you would, back to John chapter 3. So, does God give us a title? Yeah, there are many. But he also gives us a name. Now, there are good reasons why John, writing to Greek people, isn't going to quote the Hebrew word Yahweh. The Hebrew name for God, they'd be like, Yahoo? So good, so good, just so good. Yeah, nobody is like that. Nobody, but I'm, I'm not abandoning that little bit. Now, theos is the word that John uses. Just a generic word for God. But theos is the word we use to get theology. Theology, the study of God. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to study God and not know His name? Is it possible? Absolutely. Is it possible to know all about God and not know God? Of course. I mean, I can give you all sorts of facts about my wife, but does that mean you know her? No. The problem 
One of them in American Christianity is very simply we have substituted being able to pass a multiple choice exam for actually knowing God. Hey, do you believe in the Trinity? Yes. You think the Bible is the Word of God? Of course. Jesus, was he God? Absolutely. And then there's one fill in the blank, getting into heaven. What is the right answer to every question ever asked in church? Jesus. And we think that is following him. Man, I'm a huge fan of theology, and I'm a huge fan of right answers, and I'm a huge fan of truth. All those things are necessary, but far too many of us think that that's the end of the journey and not the beginning. It is possible to know Theos and not know Yahweh. It is possible to have all the right truth propositions. Yes, he's omniscient. Yes, he's omnibenevolent. Yes, he's omnipresent. And not know him. Demons have the best theology in the New Testament. Every time they see Jesus, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. God hasn't given us a list of information. He's given us his name. Go to Matthew chapter 1. So, suppose you got home this afternoon, and on CNN, there was a 13-year-old girl from Fresno who, though she was engaged to be married, had turned up pregnant and was claiming that God was responsible would you be a bit skeptical of her claim? Evidently, I'm the only one. (laughs) Of course. We'd go, that's ridiculous. And in a narcissistic, reality TV, self-seeking culture like ours, not surprising at all that someone's going to try to pull that. But of course we wouldn't believe it. So, Mary, 12 or 13 years old, in a hick town in ancient Israel, Engaged to be married to a dude that's 17 or 18 named Joseph. She turns up pregnant. It's the scandal of the town. Because Joseph's going, that wasn't me. And Mary's going, it was God. Would you believe her? Of course not. Joseph could shame her publicly. And we had every right to do that. But because he feared God, he was going to do it privately. He was going to divorce her quietly. God needs to let Joseph know it's okay. Verse 20, Matthew 1. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you were to give him the name? Jesus. Now that's how you say it in English. In Hebrew... The name is Yahshua. Yah, Yahweh, Shua, saves. You're going to give birth to a son and you're going to give him the name Yahweh saves. Because he's going to save everybody from their sins. So there's a name that you and I now recognize as the name that is above every name. That is the name at, under which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in human history. 
Yahshua. This God, Yahweh, thundering from Mount Sinai, leading through pillars of fire and smoke, so mysterious and so distant, who invites us into relationship and then reminds us that we'll never be able to figure Him out. This God now fills Jesus and saves. Yahweh saves. Is it possible to know all about Jesus and not know Jesus? Of course it is. Is it possible to call Him Lord and do many great things in His name? Yep, Jesus says, and people like that, if they don't know Me, I will say to them on judgment, sorry, I don't know you. I never knew you. Our God's not looking for a bunch of theology students. He's looking for people who, yes, will know truth, and yes, will understand information, and yes, will worship Him with their heads. But it just never stops there. Every now and again, the people of God need to be reminded that though we can know Him, we can never figure Him out. Because the thing, the thing that I can't stand in myself and in so much of American Christianity is that we've lost the sense of wonder, the sense of awe, the sense of joy in following Him. It's like, we're going to do 10 weeks on John 3.16. I mean, how many of us just went, well, yeah, I know that verse. How in the world? I heard that. I memorized that in third grade. I mean, I know that. Or somebody says, hey, we're going to talk about prayer. And it's like, okay, I got that. I've heard a thousand prayer sermons. I know this. I mean, do you... Do you see how unbelievably arrogant a statement that is? I don't care if Pee Wee Herman is up here. If he's opening the text, God is speaking. And we've so, in our information-saturated culture, we've so lost the joy and the awe and the wonder of God. We're no longer dazzled. we just got to be spoon-fed. And whoever, and that's why we're so impressed with human personalities. Because we have to be led into wonder now. We can no longer find it ourselves. Brothers and sisters, it is devastating to the American church that God's people are not full of the joy of discovery. What drives us is all that we don't know. We can know Him. Can a kid memorize and understand John 3.16? Yes! And I guarantee you could spend your whole life studying it and never reach the bottom of the truth it proclaims. Do we really believe that? I wrote a book. I've written several, actually. I wrote one on Jesus. And uh, it's pretty good. In fact, if I may be so bold, there should not be any other book written about Jesus after this book. I mean, there's, there's nothing more we're going to find out about him than what's written, obviously, in the Bible, which is inspired, and in this, which is close to being inspired. Now, what if I really believed that? What would you think of me? You arrogant twerp. The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth cannot be contained in your little book. I mean, imagine if I actually believed, well, I've spoken. No one has to study anymore. Or imagine if you're a painter, if you're an artist, and you paint something and you say, no one should ever paint again because this is the perfect painting. 
Isn't that in a very small way similar to when the people of God go, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I got that. Yeah, 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 I, I, I understand that completely. Oh, yeah, yeah, sermon on prayer, got it. I, yeah, heard that. Oh, yeah, 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 got it. Worry, shouldn't worry, got it, figured it out. I mean, isn't that the same posture of the heart? I mean, isn't it true that every now and again God's people just need to be reminded that though you can know Him, you can never come to the end of Him. And the temptation of our hearts is to try to smash Him down so that He's bite-sized, so that I can spend a one-minute devotional every day and really understand Him. I can turn on some Christian radio while I'm driving home focused on other things, and that's kind of, I mean, the greatest hindrance to actually knowing something is believing you already know it. So would you be willing to take a second look at stuff we think we know? I'm a huge fan of uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe series, The Chronicles of Narnia. And I'm sorry, I lost the physical book and so I had to download it onto my little iPad. And so I realized I could have fed children around the world with this, but it was a gift, so don't hate on me. You guys just aren't playful. I want me to get bigger too. Now, uh, these stories are center around four British school children who find themselves transported into this magical land called Narnia. Narnia is a place where animals talk, and, and the, the Christ figure in these stories is a lion called Aslan. Aslan, he's re- he's, it's, it, I think it's really powerful how C.S. Lewis has Aslan reflect certain aspects of Jesus. In this particular story, P- Prince Caspian, the kids are, have been wandering around, and they haven't been able to see Aslan. Lucy, the youngest kid, is the only one that's just glimpsed him. And she got a glimpse of him when they had this huge fork on a, on a path. They could go down this way that looked very narrow and dangerous, and this way over here, which looked very easy. And Aslan was across this ravine, pointing to go the hard way, but Lucy was the only one that could see him. And so she says, hey, we, we should go this way, but she's outvoted by her older siblings, and they go down the, what looks to be the easy way, but it's actually the hard way. They get beat up. Bad stuff happens. They find themselves later that night back in the same spot. Lucy wakes up in the middle of the night. Aslan, she sees him in a clearing. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last, the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow you will find me bigger. My question this morning, the longer we follow Jesus, does He get bigger or does He get smaller? The longer we worship God, does God get bigger or does God get smaller? 
See, for me, I'm always at war. Oh yeah, I got that. I've heard that. I know that. I studied that. I taught on that once. I've written a book on that. Right? I mean, it's so easy. And it's always been the temptation of the people of God to make him smaller. He's got to make sense. He's got to meet my demands. He's got to answer my questions. And I love this interaction. Every time you grow, I'll get bigger. Is that true for you? God has given us His name so we can know Him. But that name reminds us we will never figure Him out. So tonight, or this morning, (laughs) this morning, we want to worship. Now, does God stop speaking when we close the Bible? I just want to be clear. No, He doesn't. So, if you're tempted to think, okay, now we're done. We're not done. Because we got some work to do. We are going to worship together in response to this. And we're actually going to turn the lights off and turn the sound equipment off. And we're just going to sing with our voices. And we're going to sing this way. And the songs we're going to sing are all songs designed to, to cry out for God to get bigger in our understanding. So we just stand up.